When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Six Feet Bowling. Six Feet? Yeah, it's uh, from my earlier job uh you know i freelance with some side jobs and one of the things that i've been doing around town uh for a little extra money is uh digging holes not necessarily graves common misconception not just six feet they just happen to be six feet they just happen to be six feet (laughs) yeah it sounds a little shady as do most of your side jobs but uh we'll talk about that some other time because remember early on in this podcast, you had a bunch of extra jobs that you were working on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, staplers, a lot of office-related stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's all kinds of fun stuff you're up to. Well, it's the economy, Scott. Uh, you gotta, you got to have a plan B. I guess. And uh, you would be pretty busy if you were actually, uh, you know, digging stuff up, I suppose, maybe, rather mm-hmm. than burying stuff. Because it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like a lot of these are happening right now. But uh, it seems like there's a lot of time capsules out there that are being unearthed. Here as we uh, as we get into the 21st century. Yeah, it's so cool because if you think about it, there was a very definite period of popularity for time capsules. Mm-hmm. Uh, the American society as as a whole seemed to go, you know what? This is going to be so cool in 50 to 100 years. Yeah, I, it's funny to think like uh, you know that people are burying new stuff right now, like stuff yeah. that, stuff that's brand new. Putting it underground and expecting that in a hundred years it's going to come out of the ground in perfect condition. It's going to be, uh, you know, something that people are going to find valuable. They're going to throw it in a museum. Uh, what are they going to do with it? Other other things that they're going to do with it. Are they going to collect it? Right. Uh, what, what are they going to do? Are they going to use it somehow? I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, keep it around you know, city hall or something for display? Maybe. But um, there have been some success stories, and there have also been some uh, utter failures as far as time capsules go. Yes, that's true, and that brings us to in, in a bit of a roundabout way uh the subject of today's podcast right yeah that's right we're going ladies and gentlemen back to the 1950s we're going to uh the commemoration of oklahoma's 50th birthday scott they wanted to make this a special occasion yeah this is called tulsa rama 
And Tulsa Rama was held in, uh, I think it was in June of 1957. Mm-hmm. And it was, again, a celebration of Oklahoma's 50th birthday. Not Tulsa, but, but Oklahoma itself as a mm-hmm. state. Yeah. And, uh, they, they wanted to do something grand. They had this big Tulsa Rama celebration that had all kinds of stuff going on. Now, Tulsa was just becoming an oil boom town. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not just, but I mean, it had become an oil boom town. A lot of people are moving to Tulsa. The yeah. population is rising quickly. Big big money in Tulsa at this time, right? And um, population is growing, like you said. And uh, they wanted something, do something special to commemorate uh, this 50th anniversary and looking forward to the 100th anniversary mm-hmm. of Oklahoma as well. Uh, they wanted something special to do, and I bet you can understand where we're going with this. They buried a time capsule. Yeah, because what else would you do to celebrate the future? I know I sound kind of sarcastic, but that is that is a really neat idea. And in this time capsule, they put some really interesting stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a case of Schlitz beer. Yeah, that's one thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They had a can of gas. Yeah, big big. Well, it was a, it was a metal. Con- or, I'm sorry, it was a glass container. Of uh-huh. gasoline. That was pretty smart, right? Yeah, yeah. You want to put metal underground, right? That wouldn't last. No. <laughs> How ridiculous would that be? Yeah, you oh, want to wait, do that. They, they put something else in there too, right? Are you talking about the contents of a woman's purse? I mean, there was uh, <laughs> there was bobby pins and lipstick and gum and facial tissues and a pack of cigarettes. I think some 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 pocket change. You know, like two dollars and seventy three cents or something. Yeah, like it's that. like someone literally emptied her purse. It's. I think that's just a last minute thing that they threw in there, right? Yeah. Like somebody yeah. on the spot said, "How about this?" and they dumped that in there. Everybody's kind of giddy at the moment, right? When they're when they're doing this, but that wasn't the only thing, Ben. They also had a, a sealed container, a sealed time capsule that uh, held an American flag, mm-hmm. uh, some letters from Tulsa officials, and um, well, there was one other big big item that was in there as well. Yes, that's right, Scott. A brand spanking new 1957 Plymouth Belvedere. Yeah. Nice car. That is a nice car, and that's an unusual item to bury for sure, right? Yeah. We don't hear about that too often. There's a couple of other examples that I'm going to tell you about in a little while here, because this podcast is going to take some twists at -hmm. the end. There's some interesting stuff coming up, maybe even more so than than this Belvedere. Yeah, that's true. We've got some stuff to look forward to. but but I want I do want to tell you this that when they when they bury this thing and I said that everybody is pretty giddy about this whole thing yeah, and they're yeah. all excited oh, yeah. right you know there's this giant uh, I don't know if it, how long this festival lasted it seems like it must have been a week long thing yeah definitely uh, and there was a list of events that happened and there was you know like a lot of dancing at the fairgrounds and, sure. and shows and parades and exhibitions and car shows and all kinds of stuff going on around this 50th um, anniversary celebration and. There was just a lot of a lot of hope for the future. A lot of uh, you know, th- this is a, a boom town again, an oil boom mm-hmm. town, and a lot of people are really um, you know pro American, really pro uh, Tulsa, pro Oklahoma. Yeah. this is going to be around for a long, long time. What the, what does the future hold for us? You know, it's like uh, it's just a very um, optimistic. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's a good way to say it. A very optimistic view of the future, right? Yeah, and I I love this stuff. There's a I guess an aesthetic of sorts called retrofuturism. Mm-hmm. Um and if you enjoy as uh Scott and I do pictures of what people in the 50s thought the 2000s would look like, there's so many great retrofuturist blogs and galleries to check out. Well, that was why they put in the trunk, they put gasoline yep. in the in the glass container. Mm-hmm. They also included some oil, I believe, in there as well. And the idea was that, well, in 50 years, surely we're not going to be using gasoline and oil to power cars, right? Right. So we'll need to have our own gas and oil because cars of 2007 probably won't use gas. Let's be honest, guys. Uh, just to add 
out the list of the rest of the stuff they had. They also had newspapers, rolls of film, records, uh, plates for plates. some reason. Hmm, that's interesting. People had signed the white wall tires of the vehicle. That's uh, cool. You know, city officials, people that had sure. uh, had helped in uh, burying this vehicle, and some people that just happened to pass by. I, I read an account of uh, you know some high school kids that were on their way to the movie theater. And all this was happening downtown because how the, exciting! Yeah, this was this was right outside of uh, City Hall or something like that. We'll I'll find the note here in a minute. Yeah, but, um, it's in a public, very public place in a public corner, and uh, they saw all this happening. And there was no security or anything like that. It wasn't necessary, as they said at the time. Mm-hmm. But they walked up to the car and they were kind of checking it out. The windows were down. They were looking at it, and they uh, they, they saw that people had signed the white walls with uh, with pen, and they just picked up the pen and signed the white walls as well. So you know, there's just random. Uh, Tulsa citizens who had signed the the, uh, the white walls as well. So when the car came out of the ground, you could still see those. Which I think is amazing. I would love to do that as a kid. Well, but we should, Scott, we should go ahead and set this up. We should let everybody know that Tulsa had a plan when they buried this time capsule. They didn't just have a date for digging it up. They had a uh, contest of sorts, right? Yes, they did, and that was another item that they found in the trunk in this uh, in this airtight water sealed uh, or watertight sealed tube or whatever they had it in. Yeah, uh, they found uh, postcards that had guesses for the city's population in 2007 when they unearthed this vehicle. You know, so that you're you're 50 years prior. You're trying to guess Tulsa's population uh, 50 years in the future. Yeah, and if you get it correct, or if you are the closest guesser, then congratulations, you are the owner of a, uh, please hear my uh, air quotes here, a brand new 1957 Plymouth Belvedere. And it was brand new. I think it had something like four miles on the odometer. Yeah, they, like took it, they took it from the dealership to the time capsule pretty, pretty much. much. I, think, I think there was one story I read of a guy who had driven it around the, uh, the racetrack there at the fairgrounds or something like that. Sure. Um, and I think he was even, <laughs> the guy was underage. I think he was like 15 years old when he did that, so... Strange. There's a lot of strange tales that going around this, but imagine trying to guess Tulsa's population at the time, because again, we said it's a boom town several times. It's right. growing quickly. So in 1950, they had something like 183,000 people. You know, ballpark, right? Yeah. Um, in 1960, this is just 10 years later. This had already they had already grown to about 262,000 people. Mm-hmm. Now by 2007, the population, the actual population, was um, I think it was. 382,457 people. That's the actual population. And the uh, closest guesser, the winner of this vehicle, a fellow named Raymond Humbertson with a guess of 384,743. Yeah, so he was off by just 2,286 people. That's an incredible guess. Amazing. And they actually, they, they stuck to their guns on this. They They were going to give it to him. Uh, however, he had passed away. He died in 1979. I think he had moved away. He had moved to Virginia. Yeah. And he had passed away. So it goes to his heirs. And I've got kind of a note here somewhere about who actually owns that vehicle now because it did pass on to his heirs and his two sisters, right? Well, yes, in a way. Um, (laughs) I think there's a, there's a little bit of a complication to this because I said that he had died in 1979, right? Well, by then his wife had also died, and so the ownership of the car went to, as you said, an older sister named Catherine, but she was 93 years old, and so, you know, she really couldn't accept, you know, this uh, this this brand new vehicle, brand new again in, in finger quotes. Right. Um, <laughs> so she couldn't accept the vehicle, and her younger sister, her, so Catherine's younger sister, her name was LaVita, 
She was 85 years old, and she was named an owner. Now, now LaVita then passed away in November of 2010, and so that leaves, you know, the car going to her heirs. And ah, so there's, there are three actual owners of the vehicle today. You want to hear who they are? Yeah. All right, so the actual owners of what we call Miss Belvedere um, are Catherine, who uh, recently celebrated her 100th birthday. By oh, wow, the way. congratulations. Uh, yeah, she still has one of the uh, the rusty cans of, of Schlitz beer. By the way, from the, from <laughs> she's the, uh, saving it for 101. I guess so. And, um, let's see, her nephew, his name is Robert Carney, and then his sister, whose name is M.C. Kessner. So there are three current owners of this vehicle. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk turkey here. Uh, when they dig this up in 2007, oh, it's, it's a mess, Scott. Yeah, and, but everybody thought that it was going to come out of the ground, kind of like, um, you know, something that had been stored in a garage for a while. Right? Yeah, they thought because they put a, cl- they covered it, right? Yeah, they covered it with uh, with plastic. Right, but it wasn't very well protected at all because here we have another plot twist. Uh, and when, I know we're jumping around in time here a little bit, guys, but uh, this is probably the best way to think about it. Uh, in 1973, uh, there were some work crews excavating uh, the area around the Tulsa courthouse. And it's very near again, as mm-hmm. Scott said, where the... Where the Belvedere was buried, they ruptured a water main. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. It flooded the concrete encasement, and the car was inundated. Yeah, it was sitting in water, in four feet of water, since 1973. Right. All right, because this thing was buried in a... uh, Buried in a concrete crypt, as you mentioned, which already isn't all that great. It's not, not water smartest. It's not watertight. It's not by any means the way to do this. But they put it in that anyways, and it's below ground, so it's it's already going to be damp and cold and all that stuff, right? We got that. All right, now 
the other stuff that they did to this, you know, before they, they put it in the ground, I guess, or as they put it in the ground, um, they, they put it in, into a, uh, kind of like this big white bag, I guess is the best way to describe it. Yeah. But they had coated, you know, and they sealed the bag. But prior to that, they had coated the surface of the car with a type of grease, with a, a military grade type of grease. And they sprayed it on with uh, this big, looked like a garden hose they were spraying oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they tried, they really did try to keep the surface clean. It's a, it's a military grade, uh, rust preventative type of grease. It's called Cosmoline. It was like a water displacer, right? Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly what the purpose is for. Um, but it can't really, it can't do what it's supposed to do if it's sitting in four feet of water. Yeah. Uh, so, so, and it also, they had, they had had the car up off the ground so that, you know, the wheels weren't touching the ground. I guess they were thinking that, you know, these tires after 50 years are still going to be good. Uh, that was, Probably an error on their part already to begin with, because they would would have dry rotted. The, yeah, I think they they probably knew that the tires wouldn't last. They had to, man. But also, I, I really appreciate that you're making the point. These guys were working with the best technology they had. Yeah, and they really tried. I mean, they really thought like we're doing the best thing for this vehicle. It's going to come out of the ground factory fresh. But accidents happen. It was flooded for decades. Yeah, and when they finally opened it up, uh. The crowd, as you can imagine, is pretty disappointed. Yeah, I bet there was uh, an audible gasp as they saw it because, uh, yeah. oh, what a disaster. I mean, if you've seen photos of the, uh, of Miss Belvedere when she came out of the ground. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty ratty looking. It's and, gross. And they didn't really officially reveal the vehicle because it was covered in plastic. You know, they didn't officially reveal it until, uh, later that week, I believe. I think it was, uh, you know, again at this, at the second, Tulsarama that they held in mm-hmm. 2007. At their centennial. At their centennial. That's right. That was the whole, the plan all along was they're going to reveal it on stage. And they had, um, they brought in Boyd Coddington to do this, which Ooh. I find pretty interesting because of the time this was. Now, Boyd Coddington died in 2008. Um, so he was 63 years old, I think. Yeah. Famous and, vehicle customizer. Yeah. Hot rod designer. I mean, he was also the star of a, a show called American Hot Rod on, on TLC. Um, he did, he, well, he was one of the builders of Cad, uh, Cadzilla. Yep. Which is an amazing car. And if you've never seen Cadzilla, it's so cool. Um, you know, it's a collaborative effort. It wasn't just him. But um, he was on stage to unveil uh, the Miss Belvedere car in front of the crowd. And, of course, you know, they had already peeked under the covers. They didn't, you know, just, yeah. just do this blindly. They knew what was there. He knew how bad, you know, the, the condition of this vehicle was. So um, the crowd and the crowd kind of knew what was going on. But until they actually saw it, uh, they didn't really understand just how thorough the damage was. Right. Yeah. So. The family, though, Humberton's family doesn't give up so easily, mm-hmm. and they ship the car to a guy named Dwight Foster uh, in New Jersey at this place called Ultra One. Ultra One. Now, Ultra One, uh, they create a product called Safest Rust Remover, mm-hmm. and it's in uh, Hackettstown, New Jersey. And I'll be honest, Ben, I don't know how they got that vehicle to New Jersey without it just falling in one, apart. Yeah, one piece. I mean, it really does look like a, a, a lump of rust. Now, I know there had to have been good material below it. And, you know, we can dispute this all day, how good the material is below the rust. Because the, what they did was they tried to remove the material. And, and the, the main goal here was not to restore the vehicle. The main goal was to stabilize the vehicle. Right, yeah, to save what could be saved. And it's interesting. This is something that... I've always wanted us to do a podcast on, maybe we can in the future. Um, at what point should a car just be junked? Even if money is no object, at yeah. what point does the, the chassis itself, uh, just become better as scrap metal? Well, you know, this is, uh, this is a point of contention between a lot of people in the, uh, in the restoration world and the yep. hot rodding world. 
we're talking about this very car and maybe not so much now because it's kind of faded from the, the headlines. But, yeah. um, the story is that, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, I saw those shiny bumpers. I, I saw that when it came out of the ground. The reason they saw those, by the way, they're not chrome. They're stainless steel. Uh, and that's why they survive so well. They're, they're perfectly intact. Now, um, you know, the, uh, the company here, was it Ultra One as we yeah, mentioned? Yeah, Ultra, Ultra One. Ultra One has this, uh, this process that they use to de-rust vehicles. And that's what they're doing with this car. And it's a bit of a, uh, kind of a marketing thing, right? I mean, it's sort of like a, uh, I don't know, like a publicity. Yeah, publicity. So, not a stunt thing for them. Not really a stunt, no, because they've been asked to do a job and they're doing the job. They're stabilizing the vehicle, or they did stabilize it. It's not rusting any further, as far as I know. I mean, it's it's stopped as far as that goes. But they have this process where they uh, they shower the vehicle with their rust remover product, yeah. and it works on on large surfaces, so they don't have to disassemble anything. Um, the idea behind it, and I've I've looked this up a little bit, so we'll just briefly talk about sure. it. But, um what you use is a uh, imagine like a kiddie pool below the vehicle. You got the car up on a stand or jack stands or whatever. Yeah. You have a kiddie pool below it to catch the material. You dump in, I don't know, 50 gallons of this uh, this rust remover, the safest rust remover stuff. You put a sump pump into it, you know, just one that you buy yeah. at Sears is what the, what they say they use, like a $59 sump pump. Okay. A length of garden hose and a, uh, a sprayer, like a sprayer nozzle that you would use. Spray it on the car? Well, you don't spray it. You just kind of attach it so that it sprays in the same spot continually. And it's a continuous recirculating shower of this material that goes back down and it goes back down to the pool, through the pump, back up onto the vehicle and, and just continually cycles oh, through. Oh, I see. So it's not new product all the time. It's just recirculating. That's itself. smart. Very smart, and it's extremely effective. If you go to their website, which I'll, I'll find here in just a minute, the note that, that tells me where that is, but um, you can see cars that they've done this to where there's no disassembly at all. They just they just run this pump over the over the mm-hmm. uh, the object, and everything seems to work again as new. Like you can remove bolts that have been frozen in place for 50, 75 years, whatever. Um, it's It does make it look like new. It's amazing. It's a really cool product. We're not selling it or anything, <laughs> but... It's one of those things that I kind of want to buy a gallon of it now and just, just set experiment. up like a, like a mini version of that on my own and just see if I can de-rust some, some old antique stuff that I have laying around. That's pretty smart. It, I, we should film it. It's an interesting thing. I mean, it's a really cool process. And, and again, they've stabilized it. They've got it, you know, to where, um, you know, some people say, well, it's, it looks perfect. It looks like it's in great shape, right? Cause I mean, you look at the, uh, the difference between what right. came out of the ground and what it looks like now and, you realize that, well, I mean, the exterior has been cleaned and the, you know, the interior is still can, you know, totally caked with mud. Um, and the interior is gone. There's no material on the seats. It's just rusty right. springs. Yeah. It's just, uh, even, even some of the springs are disintegrating from the extensive rusting. Uh, the chassis is fragile, my yeah, friend. Very fragile. And so fragile that they're, that they're not really sure that it's going to make the trip to any kind of museum or any place that they want to, uh, you know, put this thing on on display. So if they want to set, ship it back to Tulsa, it's maybe in uh, in too again fragile of condition to be able to make that trip on a flatbed truck or any other way that they can ship it. Yeah, can I? I I've got some stuff here that I could uh, add to about Ultra One here. Sure. Uh, so in 2007 of November, that's when they shipped the car to New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. And as you said, there is a fairly impressive process that they use. To save things, um, and they they estimated originally it would take about six months or maybe longer, given the difficulty of removing the mud and the cosmoline. Mm-hmm. Remember that grease that uh, you had mentioned earlier. Sure. Now it's an obstruction as they're trying to get this car cleaned or salvaged. 
Uh, so as you said, they didn't disassemble it, but they continued. It was still undergo underway in June of 2008. And you can see a video, uh, from the New Jersey Star Ledger on online, uh, with them trying to preserve the car as an artifact, not to make it roadworthy. Weird thing happened in December, though, Scott, of 08. What happened? They deleted the topics in their forums regarding Miss Belvedere. Ultra One did. Interesting. I wonder why. Uh, it was, it was unknown until 2009 when Dwight Foster, again, uh, the guy we mentioned earlier at Ultra One, mm-hmm. He went on a podcast and gave some details and new pictures about the Belvedere's restoration. It was still underway. The exterior was freed. That's, I think, where one of the pictures you had comes from. Mm -hmm. And then he noted that they had purchased a donor car for this. Really? Yeah, a 1957 Plymouth Savoy. So what are they thinking about doing? Like maybe swapping the frame or something like that? Uh, yeah, the frame and trunk under frame are going to replace the weakened parts of the Belvedere. So they're kind of pulling a $6 million man on this. Interesting. So so maybe they could transport it back, uh, but it's not going to be completely the exact vehicle. It right? won't, it can't be completely original because, um, the, you know, so much of it is, Junk now, well, like the ignition system. Well, let me instance. tell you how bad this is. I mean, yeah, you mentioned yeah, the igni- yeah. okay. You just said the ignition system, right? So yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off there, no, no. but but I read this little bit from uh, from Foster himself, who says that <laughs> he says with you know the exterior has been cleaned up and it looks pretty good. The interior and the body are still caked with mud, as he said, but this is actually shoring up the body panels. The mud inside the body panels and in, in, in the interior is shoring up the body panels. That's how bad this thing is. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Um, he says also that the um, 
you know, the, the safety glass is damaged beyond repair because water seeped between the glass and the plastic layers. Yeah. So that's never going to be, you know, visible again. You're not going to be able to see through that again, at least well enough to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, uh, the steering box is completely melted inside. He said, you know, initially when they first pulled it out of the ground, they were able to steer it. Uh, now it's just completely gone. It's, uh, it's melted inside to the point where they can't even turn it. Um, none of the electrical systems, of course, are even close to functioning. There's just no, no way. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, flood cars, how, you know, just a couple of hours of flood damage or even just a second of flood damage, really, mm-hmm. is enough to completely ruin a car's electrical system. So imagine what decades of, of water soaking around this vehicle does. I mean, there's just nothing really left behind. They're like paperweights. Yeah, it's exactly right. So yeah, so that's where they're getting some of that uh, other material from that Savoy. Uh, there's there's a really interesting part of this in uh, the article that inspired our podcast where they talk about the worth of a pristine original Belvedere with low mileage. Yes, this is pretty interesting, isn't it? I yeah. mean, uh, you would think you would think that this would be something that would be worth restoring, right? Right. Yeah, because it's a classic car, and nowadays most of us just hear the year of a car and say, oh, well, if it's that old, it's got to be worth some serious scratch. And I also heard that uh, Foster, you know, just because it came to his company, he's invested about, I think they said they estimated between twenty and $30,000 already in this thing just to get it stabilized. Yeah, just to get it to survive whatever process they come up with next. Uh, all right, here it is. Here's the the bottom line. That original Belvedere with minimal mileage, right? And in the best condition, it's worth about forty to fifty grand. Hmm, That's okay. it. That's not uh, really going to happen then, because uh, customs or not customization, but restoration of something like that is going to far exceed easy, that easily go into hundreds. So this will become somebody's, uh, you know, I guess uh, pet project. You know, they're just going to do it. They're going to invest money in it if they do. Somebody's going to invest money into this and just uh, understand that they're not going to get the money back out of it. It's just more of a, uh, a labor of love, I guess. Right. Yeah. I think you called it. It's a, it's a pet project. You know how it is when, when you get a pet project, you want something that'll take a while, mm-hmm. right? Especially if you're doing it for fun. Sure. Uh, and a Belvedere from 57 is a fairly good restoration product. Not this Belvedere specifically, not Miss Belvedere, mm-hmm. but in general, if you want to restore something, that's a great choice because they built almost 70,000 of them. They're not hard to come by, so you can find other parts. Yeah, so this is not a rare vehicle. No. It's got that going against it. It's it's already in just horrible, horrible condition. But what it does have going for it is this amazing story. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's great just to have that. And, if, you know, for a museum or something, that's kind of bragging rights that you have that piece on display, right? And it can tour. It can travel. It can, you know, make the rounds as long as it can stand up to that kind of abuse. Yes. And by abuse, I mean gentle travel. Uh, because, you know, in, in this case, it's a, it's it's going to be a rough uh, road ahead for this thing. Uh, now, the, some of the stuff that I read about the Belvedere in 1957, it was, you know, kind of a, a relatively low-dollar vehicle. It wasn't very expensive. Um, you said they built a lot of them. Um, let's see, what else did I say about it? Um, oh, yeah, one other thing is uh, this was the uh, – people might think about this car when they see the movie Christine. Oh, you know, the Stephen King, uh, good call. The Stephen King book. Yeah. Um, it was made into a movie. Uh-huh. Uh, that Christine was actually a 1958 Plymouth Fury, however, but the Belvedere and the Savoy uh, were kind of look-alike vehicles. In fact, in the movie, I believe, uh, there was a, a, a Belvedere and a Savoy that were dressed to look like the Fury in the film. Mm. So the actual car is supposed to be a Fury, 
Uh, you know, it's from, I guess this film was from 1983. It was set in 1978. Yep. And this is a 1958 vehicle. So, um, it, it was like there, there are plenty of cars around, you know, mm-hmm. that they were able to draw from, but they couldn't find, I guess, enough Plymouth Fury models. They had to uh, rely on Belvedere and Savoy models that they then, again, dressed to make them look like Christine. Now, we've given you the skinny, right? The, the bare bones basics of this. We haven't done the absolute up to the minute updates. Uh, but before we get into some more stuff about time capsules and about restoration of cars and when it is or isn't worth it, mm-hmm. I want to, uh, fill our word from a sponsor moment with a compliment for you because you did a fantastic job on that interview with the curator of the Dream Cars exhibit. Oh, thank you, Ben. I appreciate that. That came out uh, this week, actually, as we're recording. I, uh, I just noticed that online uh, last night. I didn't even know it was up until until uh, late in the evening. Right. And, and but thank the, you, Ben. That's- no, thank you, Scott. Uh, because a lot of our listeners might not know that you and I do video stuff, car stuff. We've talked about it. But listeners, if you haven't checked out our car stuff videos yet, give them a look. So I guess this is an advertisement for ourselves. Yeah, what have we got? Three or four out there now, right? Mm-hmm. And there's uh, some older stuff that you know was just audio, really, that we had done with some animations, things like that. Mm-hmm. So there might be uh, as many as about, oh boy, what about eight or nine right now? Yeah. And there's more to come. Oh, there's a lot know, more to come. <laughs> I don't know if we can tell you what's going on, but uh, but there's some interesting stuff coming down the pike. Oh, yeah, we can mention it if you want. Can we? Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Okay, yeah, so we have another series coming up uh, where you and I and our super producer, Noel, and a couple of other uh, friends of ours here at the job, we went to a car show. Yeah, uh, yeah an incredible car show, mm-hmm. a car show unlike any other parking lot type car show that I've ever been to. It was called Caffeine and Exotics, mm-hmm. and uh, there were what? I seemed like 200 cars there, at least. Yeah. They said there were 200. I don't think there were 200 that day. I think the weather might have had something to do with it. It was a little chilly. Yeah, but there were definitely over 100. Now, there were definitely over 100 exotic vehicles at this show, all in Lambos, one place. Lambos, Maseratis. Yeah, one parking lot. It was amazing. And mm-hmm. we got to talk to the owners. We got to, uh, you know, interview them just a little bit, you know, kind of off to the side. Sure. But, uh, but we focused on a few different brands and a few different makes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's going to be an entertaining show. Yeah, so check it out. Don't worry. You'll hear from us when these come out because... Uh, Scott, you and I are both pretty excited about, about this one. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. I've never seen a gathering like that ever in my life. Yeah. And people were super approachable too, because I, I don't know, man, there were some amazing vehicles there. I've used the word amazing probably like four times now, mm-hmm. but it, I'm not going to apologize for it because it was great. Oh, we were blown away by this one. It was, mm-hmm. it was really incredible. So, um, you know, when that comes out, check mm-hmm. it out. We'll, we'll be sure to let you know as well. Yeah. And in the meantime, just check out the House of Works, uh, YouTube channel to see all the videos that we've done up to this point. Exactly right. Now, can we talk just a little bit more about the Belvedere before we move on? Because yeah. uh, there's some fascinating time capsule stuff that I want to get to. And, um, I'll give you a little hint here, Ben. Hmm. There's, there's some other cars out there that are buried right now that uh, we haven't seen yet. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that they'll come out of the ground in a little better shape. But, uh, the last kind of wrap up stuff on this, uh, this Belvedere, um, and there's a lot more to it, of course. There's a lot of personal stories that go along with this. And it's by true. the way, when I was reading about this, um, some of the most fascinating stuff that I was reading was coming from the people that they were interviewing in Tulsa, like maybe the week before they were going to unbury this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. they were going to exhume this car. And people were, people were very, um, I don't know. You could just see the excitement and, you know, these people when they're, when they were interviewing them, they could just see that they were totally, you know, geeked mm-hmm. about the idea of a pristine 1957 car being unearthed right there in their town. And 
it's going to go to somebody. And they didn't even know who was going to be the winner at this point because they hadn't figured out who had the closest guest at that guest. Oh, that yeah, that's right. So the winner wasn't determined until later. Um, it, just, it was a fascinating read, you know, to find out, you know, what people were thinking just before it came out of the ground. And then also, you know, knowing what happened later mm-hmm. and then reading you know, the accounts of what happened later, you know, a week later, which we haven't, we haven't followed up all the way on. So do you want to talk about where the Belvedere is now our latest updates, or do you want to do other time capsules first and save that Belvedere stuff for the end? No, no, no. Let's just uh, talk about, let's get wrap up the Belvedere stuff because this time capsule stuff is so intriguing. I think it's on its own. I agree. All right. So, Uh, Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, uh, the one thing I do need to, amend here a little wrinkle is that uh mr foster who we mentioned earlier mm-hmm. he's actually one of the people who reached out before the unearthing and said to tulsa you know hey just in case something happened guys uh drop me a line that's extremely smart yeah he because he invested uh earlier in this idea you know and uh well then i've got a few more people that he needs to contact because there are other cars coming mm-hmm. out soon And right now, one of the last things I read, he was uh, trying to work with the Smithsonian to make this an exhibit. I think that is a perfect place for this vehicle. I mean, if it can't be on display in Tulsa, um, you know, and maybe Tulsa wants it on display at the Smithsonian because that's an honor to be there, really. I mean, there's so many things there at the Smithsonian. I wish I had numbers in front of me, how many buildings and how many items they have, but it's an incredible display. Uh, the, the very last thing I have on this is there's a, um, a product that you can buy if you're really, really interested in the story and you want to see, you know, footage of the day that it was buried, uh-huh. uh, which is pretty fascinating stuff. You can see the full documentary, um, the unearthing of the vehicle and all that. There's a, there's a site called BelvedereDVD.com and, uh, you know, it has kind of everything surrounding this whole vehicle. The, uh, the burial, the exhumation. Is that right? Exhumation? Yeah. Exhuming? Yeah. Okay. Disinterred. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. When they brought it up from the uh, from the depths, I guess. Sure. Uh, that's the best way to say it. And there's also another little twist in this thing that uh, that people may find exciting. There is a Facebook page called Miss Belvedere and Unburied Cars, mm. and there's a few interesting ones here that we've already covered. Uh, there's Miss Belvedere, of course. Right. Uh, there's a man that was buried in a 1973 Pontiac Catalina. You know, so there's another car as a coffin type idea. Yeah. Uh, there's a Corvair coffin idea. Uh, Sandra West and her Ferrari coffin, which we've talked about, right? Uh, that was the Beverly Hills socialite mm-hmm. buried in her Ferrari. That was okay. a good episode. It was. Um, I think they also mentioned the uh, the Oklahoma Foss Lake cars, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's also a story about a buried Ferrari Dino from the late 1970s uh, that turned up in someone's Los Angeles backyard. There's a whole interesting story about that one. Wow, we well. should check that one out. So that is a cool site that you can go to and check out if you want, uh, you know, the Facebook page, Miss Belvedere and Unburied Cars. Now, so Ben, all right, here's the thing. We're about 35 or 40 minutes into this this podcast, and I have a lot more information about buried cars, time capsules, all kinds of stuff coming yeah, up. Some yeah. Real, some, I tell you, there's some real intriguing stuff here. Uh, what if we just uh, make this a two-parter? Mm-hmm. And we can come back and talk about uh, some some other time capsules that I know of, some known lost time capsules, which I find extremely intriguing. Um, maybe something about another buried Plymouth somewhere here in the United States. Uh, there's just a lot of material about time capsules, and there's a time capsule society 
that is very close to us that I think we should talk about as well. So, ah, uh, yes, there's some intriguing things here, um, and a couple of cars on the way as well. So, you want to uh, want to stretch out into two, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, listeners, we hope you tune in for the second part of our episode on the buried Belvedere and other buried cars. You can find Scott and I on CarStuffShow.com. We're all over Facebook and Twitter and the intranets. Uh, let's see, what what else should we say? Oh boy, I don't know. We've got a we got a website. Uh, yes, yeah. Where you uh, we mentioned the website where you can listen to every single podcast we've ever done, which iTunes doesn't let you do. That's true. That's right. Uh, we have uh, way over six hundred now. Yeah, you can find all of them right there, all in one place. And if there is, by some cruel. Uh, accident of fate or circumstance, a topic that you think we should cover that we have not yet covered, write to us, let us know, and we will fix it. Our address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.